Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church Sermon of the Week. In this message, Senior Pastor Marvin Lindsay explores the spiritual practice of simple living. He offers tips for reducing the clutter in our lives, and he explains why we're called to live simply. Our congregation is located in downtown Columbia, Missouri. For more information about us, go to www.fpccolumbia.org. Raise your hand if you've begun your spring cleaning yet. Okay. Okay, we, I see some hands in the air. I have begun some spring cleaning too. I meant to bring, um, there, well, there's a grocery bag full of stuff of mine that's in the other car, and I meant to bring it and show you some of the stuff that I have gathered up that I'm, I'm getting rid of, but I, it, it's in the other car, so I can't show it, and I regret it because one of the things I'm getting rid of is a pair of wool socks that are very warm, but uh, the color pattern definitely belongs to a, a different decade, um, a, a decade of... Uh, of color pattern horrors, but I, I can't show it to you. I, I'm also getting rid of an old t-shirt, a t-shirt that I got when I uh, trained for a marathon in 2011. I'm, I'm, that's not going to do that again. Um, the pandemic 15 is still sticking to me like, like a glue. Uh, and I'm also getting rid of a pair of old glasses. You know, uh, I just found these old glasses and you know, I can still see reasonably well out of them, but they're small and they're not progressive lenses like I have now. And there's really no need for me to have them. So I think I'm going to give them to the Lions Club and somebody who uh, is uh, struggling with eyesight issues like I have, maybe they can uh, benefit from them. But, you know, one grocery bag of stuff to get rid of is not a whole lot, especially when you are a middle-aged, middle-class of household like we are. You know, like a lot of middle-aged, middle-class people, we have accumulated a whole bunch of stuff throughout our lives. And there's a great deal of clutter in our closets, in our basement, in our storage room. And, and if you are of a certain age, you, you might know where I'm going with this because you know that the, uh, the great Christian theologian George Carlin has already called us to account and held us responsible for the, uh, the inordinate um, amount of joy that we get out of accumulating and sorting and managing our stuff, right? You remember the stuff uh, routine of George Carlin's, right? I looked for one that was clean because I wanted to put it on Facebook this week and say, this is what we're going to be talking about this Sunday. And I found one that was clean, but there was one word. It's not a cuss word. But it's just one word, and it's not appropriate at all for a church website. So um, anyway, uh, you know what? Maybe you remember what he says. He says the whole meaning of life is finding a place to put your stuff, right? You know, the Westminster Confession says the, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. No, the, the chief end of man is to find a place to put your stuff, says George Carlin. And he says, um, you know, houses are just basically a place hide your stuff while you are out hustling so that you can get more stuff. And, you know, and when you go on vacation, you know, you, you have to do this. There's all this work of sticking a representative sample of your stuff into a suitcase to take with you uh, to your vacation destination. And when you get there and uh, you, the first thing you do is you put away your stuff. You know, you unload that uh, suitcase and you put it all away in the closets and in the dressers, and then you discover that you've got more space than stuff, and you panic. So what do you do? You go shopping to buy more stuff, right? And he's not wrong. Um, he's not wrong. That's, that's how we are uh, as, as, uh, as Americans in the 21st century. Uh, Joshua Becker is a minister and an author, and he 
uh, owns a website called Becoming Minimalist. And he reports on that website that the size of the average American home has tripled in the last 50 years. We've got triple the space that we had a half century ago. And yet, despite that, 25% of Americans who have a garage in their house report that they can't park their car in the garage because there's all this stuff in it. And 10% of Americans report uh, you know, subscribing or leasing off-site storage for all their stuff. Imagine that, said George Carlin, a whole industry devoted to looking after your stuff. It's amazing how much we love stuff. And it's not really amazing if we think about it, though, because we are told faithfully and relentlessly and unceasingly that we need stuff to be the kind of people that we are called to be. We need stuff to make us happier. We need stuff to make us more handsome or prettier. We need stuff to make us more successful. We need stuff so that we will be the envy of our friends and family. You know, we hear once every three years, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But every minute of the day, we are hearing, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We are being given that message over and over and over. And, you know, if you hear a message like that over and over and over, you'll begin to believe it. But should we? Can stuff buy you happiness? Can stuff buy you success? Is acquiring stuff and storing stuff the meaning of life? Reverend Becker said he had a breakthrough moment about 10 years ago. He was spending his Saturday morning organizing his garage, and his wife was in the house, cleaning the house, and their five-year-old was in the backyard playing all alone. And a neighbor came by and looked into the garage and looked at Becker working away and said, you sure you need all that stuff? And Becker thought about it. And he thought, no, I don't need all this stuff. Do you know what I need? I need to spend more time with my family. I need to make a difference in this world. I need to be more generous. I need to be more loving. I need to leave this world you know, in a little bit better shape than I found it. And so he started looking around at his garage, at his storage room, at his house, and he realized that all the stuff in his possession, that represented time and money put into something other than time spent with family. It represented time and money put into something other than making a difference in the world. And all the managing and sorting and stacking the stuff took his focus away from what he really needed to be about. So he set out on a journey that he calls minimalism, or as our curriculum calls it, the spiritual practice of simple living. So what is simple living? Well, Becker says that it's not about depriving yourself of fun or enjoyable moments and things just for the sake of suffering. It's not, you know, a hair shirt lifestyle just for the sake of wearing a hair shirt. He says, instead, it is the intentional promotion of the things I value most by removing things that most distract me from them. So I'm going to say that again so it sinks in. It's the intentional promotion of the things I value most by removing things that most distract me from them. That's simple living. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Is all the stuff um, that you have kind of overrunning overrunning your life? Uh, Do you have to kind of carve a path uh, through the garage or your basement or even your bedroom? Is all your stuff all that you ever think about? I mean, are you always thinking about how to manage your possessions? 
are you growing suspicious of a lifestyle of acquiring more stuff? Or all of the ads in your social media feed or on television that are telling you this one more piece of stuff will make you a happy person? If so, then let me tell you about a man named Paul who had a very different relationship with stuff than we do. We're going to dive into the scripture passage from Philippians. And then after that, we're going to think about some specific ways that we can um, declutter our lives and intentionally promote the things that we value the most. So let me turn to the letter of, to the Philippians and to the author. Paul was a missionary of Jesus Christ. He founded churches all over the Roman Empire in the generation after Jesus was crucified and raised. And one of those was a congregation he founded in Philippi, which was a Roman colony, and it was located on a major east-west route that linked the eastern and western portions of the Roman Empire. It was a big and thriving city. He founded a congregation there, and then he went on to found congregations elsewhere, and at some point he wound up in jail. Actually, this happened frequently to Paul. <laughs> um, Paul frequently spent time in jail. It seems as though Paul's preaching uh, was of a nature that tended to alienate people. It made both Jews and pagans upset. And often when Paul would finish a sermon, or maybe not even finish the sermon, a brawl or a riot would break out, and then the civil authorities would come in to clean up the mess, and they would find this troublemaker, this rabble-rouser, they'd throw him in the jail you know, to calm everybody down. It's kind of it's an interesting model for preaching, you know. If you, <laughs> uh, how, many, yeah, how many riots can I start in the week to come? Um, now, jail in the Roman Empire is not like jail in 21st century United States. Usually it was a form of house arrest, or it was like Paul in Philippians 4 doesn't actually thank the Philippians for the gift. He acknowledges a gift, but he doesn't say, thank you, thank you for the shirt, thank you for the money, you know, thank you for the rack of lamb or whatever it was. Rather, um, Paul says that he didn't ask for the gift, and he also says he doesn't even need the gift. You know, I, you sent me this, I acknowledge that, I don't need it, I didn't even ask for it. It's, it's almost insulting, except that Paul goes on to say in the same passage what he is thankful for and what does bring him joy. And what he is thankful for and brings him joy is not the gift so much as the spirit of generosity in the Philippian people. He's more thankful that they gave him a gift than what the gift means to him. He's more thankful about the credit that that brings to their account than the credit they put on his prison canteen account. It's not what they've given him that brings him joy. It's what they've done for God through him that brings him joy. That's why he's, that's why he's joyful and that's why he's thankful. Really? Come on. I mean, what, what prisoner wouldn't uh, appreciate some money being put on their canteen account, especially when your flip-flops go to pieces? Well, Paul says that his indifference to the gift arises from a deep contentment that he has found. Paul is a contented man. He's content no matter how much or how little stuff he has. He's become privy to a secret, the secret of not despairing when he's hungry and not becoming complacent when his tummy is full. He no longer panics when storms stri strike and rage, nor does he give in to self-indulgence when the good times roll. He's learned the secret of contentment. Where did he learn it? From Jesus Christ, I suspect at any rate, reading through the rest of the letter. 
elsewhere in this letter to the Philippians, Paul quotes uh, a hymn that the early Christian church would sing about the person and work of Jesus Christ, about Christ's descent to this earth and his return to heavenly glory. There was a time when Jesus Christ had so much stuff that even tech gazillionaires and Arab oil shakes would have blushed at Christ's riches. Christ was the one through whom God created all things, you know, from quarks to quasars, uh, animals, vegetables, minerals, all of it belonged to Christ because he was the one through whom God created everything. All your stuff is Christ's stuff, really. It's all Christ. And he gave it all up, says the hymn. He gave it all up. He descended from heaven. He took the form of a servant and he rendered obedience to God. Obedience even to the point of death on a cross. He gave up everything. And at the end, he even gave up his health, his dignity, and his life to die a shameful death on the cross so that we would not die alienated and estranged from God, so that we would be reunited to God through the blood of our Lord and Savior. And for that, God has highly exalted him, has raised him from the dead. Only one thing lacks now for Christ, and that is for every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord. And Paul says that one day that will happen. One day, Christ will have the one thing that he currently lacks, and that is the acknowledgement that he is Lord, uttered by everyone who has lived and everyone who will live. So Paul learned from Christ that there is no earthly comfort that compares to sharing in Christ's heavenly glory. And Paul also learned that there is no material lack or poverty that can forever deny us the riches of glory in Christ, so long as we are in him. Paul learned from the cross that there is no failure, there is no shame, there is no pain or poverty that God cannot turn to our eternal good. So Paul is content in this world, whether he's got a little bit of stuff or whether he's got a whole lot of stuff. He's not striving for more stuff, he's striving for Christ. But Paul is a work in progress. Uh, a life spent serving Christ with all of its ups and downs has taught him much, but he admits in another place in the letter to the Philippians that he hasn't arrived just yet. So if you have a hard time letting go of your stuff, or if you still find the rat race a bit appealing, then don't be too hard on yourself. But do understand this, that to know Christ and to make him the, most, the thing that matters the most is partly about learning to hold on to your stuff a little more loosely and even to let go of it. So how can we do that? Where do, where do we begin? Uh, where do we uh, middle-class Americans begin uh, who have so much stuff? Well, here are some small, specific ways from Joshua Becker's website that I want to share with you. Five uh, things you can do to declutter your life and to start to focus on things that matter the most, and then a bonus, a bonus question that you need to ask. So the first thing is this. Just try this. Devote five minutes every day to, to uncluttering your house. Just give it five minutes. Don't say, today I'm going to clean out the attic. You'll, you'll, you'll die in despair. Um, say, today I'm going to give five minutes to uncluttering my house, my apartment, my condominium, uh, the glove box in my car, whatever. Just give it five minutes a day. See what happens. Number two, resolve to recycle, donate, or throw away one piece of stuff per day. Just one, piece, just one thing per day. At the end of a year, you will have 
gotten rid of 365 pieces of stuff. If you do two things a day, there will be 730 less items of clutter in your abode than there are right now. That's another way that you can do it. Okay. Number three, ask a friend to come over and look at your stuff. And ask that friend to tell you what looks cluttered and what needs to be gotten rid of. See, some, we just stop seeing, right? We just, we, we just stop seeing clothes and books and stuff piled up. You know, we, 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 just, we stop seeing that desk for the mess that it is. But your friend will see it. Your friend will notice it. Your friend will point it out to you and then do something about it. Number four, donate those clothes that you never wear. Now, and he has a great suggestion for how can you tell when you never wear clothes? Hang up all your clothes in your closet with the hangers facing the opposite way. Okay, And then when you take off an article of clothing, wear it. When you put it back, turn the hanger around so that it's facing the proper way. And at the end of three months, those hangers that are still facing the wrong way, those are the clothes that you get rid of. If you haven't worn them in three months, you're not going to wear them. I mean, okay, summer and winter, I, I get that, but you know what I mean. Number five, let's make it a contest. You and your spouse or your roommate get a garbage bag and you race to see who can fill it the fastest with stuff you're going to get rid of by donation, by recycling, or by landfill. And I don't know, uh, the, <laughs> but don't get some, uh, the winner doesn't get more stuff. <laughs> the winner gets the satisfaction of winning. Try one of those five things. Try one of those five things. And if you've forgotten them, this video is online. Just go watch, the, uh, watch, watch this again uh, and pick one. Uh, to begin to commit yourself to decluttering. And then there's a bonus question, um, or really it's a bonus question that you don't maybe necessarily need to ask. Can I afford it? Might not be the most important question when it comes to stuff. Yes, you may be able to afford it, but what could you do with that money in terms of generosity, in terms of love, in terms of sharing in the distress of another human being? That might be the more important question to ask. Yeah, maybe you can afford it, but is, the be- is it the best use of your time and your money? So why do these things, or why ask this question? Well, not necessarily so that you'll have less to dust, although that might be a nice fringe benefit, or not because you are after this kind of sleek, minimalist interior design style that's so popular these days. There's some other reasons to to declutter your life that I think arise from the scripture passage. First, to part with our stuff willingly prepares us to accept with grace those experiences of being forced to part with our stuff. You know, sometimes we get laid off and we have to part with some stuff. Sometimes we get seriously ill and we have to part with um, feeling pain-free and being uh, completely mobile. And at the end, we're all going to die. And so we will be parted from life itself, as well as all of our stuff. If we willingly part with some stuff along life's journey, we can handle with greater grace those moments where we have to part with stuff unwillingly. Number two, to stop putting time and energy into acquiring stuff frees us to put time and energy into generosity, into love, into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's number three. The journey towards simple living really is a journey of discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to pursue a simpler um, lifestyle. 
an uncluttered lifestyle, a lifestyle that is abundant in love, but not overflowing with junk and with stuff that's going to wind up at goodwill in a few years. To live simply is to follow Jesus, who gave up everything in obedience to God and who received back even more in return. So I want to uh, close this uh, morning by observing that today is the last Sunday in the quarter. Uh, And so in a week or two, you're going to receive from the church office your first quarter giving statement, if you're a member of the congregation. And so I want you to take a look at the facts and figures on that giving statement. What do those facts and figures represent? Well, they don't represent items that are going to wind up uh, at an estate sale or in goodwill after you're gone. They don't represent items that need to be dusted, that need to be locked up, that need to have an anti-theft system purchased for them, or that are subject to breakage. They represent love. Those facts and figures represent generosity. And these are investments that will yield dividends in eternity. And if you didn't have an opportunity to give in the first quarter, I don't have to tell you about how high inflation is running right now, then I'll bet that there were times in the first three months of this year that you didn't devote yourself to just acquiring more stuff. Because you were disciples of Jesus Christ, you devoted yourself to love for your fellow human beings. Maybe that love took the form of a phone call or a text message or a card checking in on somebody who was ill. Maybe that took the form of prayers for people who are suffering in Ukraine and in Afghanistan and in other ways. That time, too, is an investment that yields eternal dividends. So I invite you this Sunday to rest in Jesus Christ and find the contentment that is in him. And out of that uh, source of unending contentment, find the strength to live generous and joyful and loving lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you found this message inspiring, give this podcast a five-star rating, and share this episode with your friends and family. If you would like to support our church's mission with an offering, go to www.fpccolumbia.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Your gift will feed the hungry, house the homeless, and share the hope of Jesus Christ. Peace be with you.